welcome to the Precision Guided Podcast, the official podcast of the Georgetown Security Studies Review, where we cover all things national security, military, foreign policy, and history. Thank you for joining us today. And I'm your host, Stephanie Cannon. And I am your co-host, Donald Small. Today, we're here with Chidi Blyden, the Deputy Assistant, Secretary of Defense, for African Affairs. Ms. Blyden is an expert and sociocultural advisor on the conflicts, security, and development of African nations. In her role, Ms. Blyden brings policy, national security, and practitioner experience from her career spanning the government, academic, and nonprofit sectors. Her work focuses on the impact of culture in developing policy and using community-centric approaches to security challenges in African nations, underscoring the role of women and youth in peace and security. Ms. Blyden is also an adjunct professor here at the Georgetown University Center for Security Studies. Her class is entitled African Security Issues and Policies. Thank you, Ms. Blyden. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, Stephanie and Donald, for having me on the, the podcast. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, so first, we're just going to um, delve into your background a little bit more. Um, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about your academic background and professional background. Sure. Um, I have been in the Washington, D.C. area now for a little over 17 years. And part of the reason why I came to this area was because it was one of the uh, epicenters of foreign policy, global studies, um, security studies. Um, there's nothing like being in Washington. And so I had the opportunity to work at the National Defense University and working on security studies, it prompted me to go to George Mason University to study um, conflict resolution. And I had a great opportunity to not just study it in theoretical practice, but also do a practitioner's uh, focus with the degree that I got in my master's study. Um, but as I said, I've, I've only been in this area for about 17 years because I, I grew up in Texas and a little bit overseas as well. Um, but in Texas, uh, I went to Texas A&M where I studied sociology and did a background in race and ethnic studies and women's studies, but really focusing on culture as a, a grander part of um, the way that you employ policy um, at the academic level. So how did you end up at National Defense University? How did you become aware of this sphere? Um, did uh, your family come into it or did something um, prompt you to join? Sure. I moved up to the area, like I said, and I had actually had the opportunity to do um, come to Washington, D.C. as an intern in my last year of undergraduate studies. And I did an internship, funnily enough, at the Wolf Trap Foundation uh, for the Performing Arts. So if you all are familiar with the Virginia area, uh, I went out there and I was part of their education program uh, because part of what I was studying with uh, race and ethnic studies and women's studies was the sociology of education. And so how you teach people um, in different ways and how you apply um, uh, different types of methods, pedagogy. In this case, it was how do you apply the performing arts to teaching uh, people. Um, and so that was actually how I, I got 
um, to first come to Washington. And it was during that time that I was working at Wolf Trap after I graduated um, that I found uh, this job at the National Defense University. And I know it seems odd that there would be synergies between uh, teaching five-year-olds not to hit their neighbor and, and teaching you know, generals or you know, not to invade their neighbors. Um, but there was definitely uh, an opportunity for me to expand upon the sociology of education in the security studies field. And so it was just happened to be that in the newspaper at the time, yes, we were still using the newspaper, I won't date myself, um, that I found this job announcement um, for a contractor um, that supported the US government through the Department of Defense at the National Defense University at the Africa Center for Strategic Studies. And the Africa Center is one of the regional uh, think tanks um, that are assigned to the US government to be able to look at policy and security studies from the lens of academia. That is such a cool journey of um, just starting off in one place and having your career have these twists and turns. Um, I think that's definitely one of the things that I'm learning more and more is that um, your career isn't going to be exactly how you plan it. So that's really cool to see in your life as well. Um, moving a little bit more into your research interests that you began to touch on, um, could you speak a little bit more as to um, some of the major either geographic areas or um, any other research areas that your work has mainly been focused in? Absolutely. I think it's no secret if you uh, know anything about uh, my background that I am a Africa specialist. Um, and that is a really hard thing to be, I think, because no one can ever be an Africa expert. Um, so you, you specialize in a region that is, I think, of most interest to you and you try and do what you can to learn as much as you can about it. And so for many, many years, I have studied and tried to understand Africa's conflict um, and development opportunities. And I've done that, as I mentioned earlier, from a very cultural perspective, and that is making sure you understand sort of the origin and history of African cultures and how it applies to sort of present and modern day. And it's imperative I, in my sort of uh, belief that you do this in a way that helps to inform how you think about a place and also how you apply policy to a place. And so in working in a national security profession, uh, particularly where I get the opportunity to be a policy decision maker, my focus has always been to try and uh, understand as much about a situation and a problem from various angles and analyze it in a way that is beneficial and advantageous to both sides. And so I spent a lot of time, uh, as I mentioned, just understanding the conflicts, understanding development opportunities, understanding the cultures, the peoples, and how they have similarities or how they have differences. And I think in the security studies, or if you're looking at um, any of the, the challenges um, that we have uh, talked about globally, having an understanding of this and how it um, is nested, I think, in larger global foreign policy can be really important in, in decision making. Thanks so much. And you talked about how complex it is and how um, maybe even saying is uh, a specialist on, uh, on such a large continent with uh, such a large population, different types of cultures. Um, where do you begin to uh, consider like what are the greatest security issues or challenges in Africa right now? I think you, you touched on it. It is really big. So I think when framing uh, security challenges for me, 
Uh, I think it's important to highlight, yes, the sheer size of the continent and the diversity of it in the sense that you have 54 countries, more than a billion people, um, and a landmass that you know the size of the United States, China, India, and Brazil combined. Um, with that size, though, I think just as you mentioned, there are challenges, but there's also a lot of opportunity. So I think that with that great size and with all of the diversity that we just talked about, there is a great variation. I think in the same way that regional and local issues vary across the United States, there are key security concerns from African country to country. The security environment of Botswana, for example, is quite different from what you would maybe see in Central African Republic, which is quite different from what you would find in Mali, which is quite different from what you would find in Libya. So I think you, you get my point, um, but I want to make sure that we, we really understand that we're talking about a, a really fairly diverse place but I think in spite of this variation, um, if you wanted to look at things from a very macro level, you would see quite a few patterns that are emerging across the continent. And so from where I sit and, and from my purview, there are a number of, of challenges that I'll, I'll just highlight a few that I think are of importance. Um, I think most people will often hear about sort of the challenge of violent extremist organizations, not just in Africa, but I think across the globe. Um, and just like every other country, African nations are, are grappling with this um, as well. I think there are also some interesting areas um, that people are maybe not tracking as closely when it comes to Africa. And those are places like the maritime security domain, um, with Africa having over 18,000 miles of coastline, um, there's a lot of space for piracy, trafficking, illegal fishing, illegal, illegal fishing, sorry, and other malign um, activities that could be happening in the waters. Other things like cybersecurity on the continent uh, pose significant risks to African governments, their infrastructure, and their ability to be able to uh, manage their, their governance responsibilities. Other things like environmental crimes, such as wildlife trafficking, illegal mining, um, definitely become hotspots and um, starters of conflict in some cases, um, given the, the resource richness of the continent. I think there's also um, some of the things that we're seeing uh, now come to more to the forefront on the climate issues, energy security issues, again, issues that everybody else has. Um, but I think in some cases, you'll see that they are, are more exacerbated in the African um, country context. Um, and then other things like what we're experiencing now with COVID-19, and that's health security issues, um, challenges to food insecurity, conflict and state mismanagement, governance issues. These are all the issues that I think you could probably find um, any one of countries around the world, but especially US, you do sometimes find them in the 54 countries that Africa has as well. Yeah, so I know that um, you just gave us a long list of security issues that um, the whole continent is facing. Um, I was wondering if there are any of these issues or another issue that you haven't highlighted yet that you feel is disproportionately affecting Africa. So I as I mentioned, I think I, that African security issues are, are like global security challenges in general. Um, in the same way that there are opportunities, I think, for the United States to improve its health, energy, and cybersecurity, the African continent also presents these opportunities as well. Um, that said, I think that you could probably look at a couple of challenges um, that are really unique to Africa. And I'll, I'll touch on the, the last two that I kind of uh, mentioned. Um, the climate change um, is what I would consider uh, maybe a force multiplier in the African context. And so climate um, to me, if you take all of the other uh, challenges that we, we listed, the VEO threats, the food insecurity, the health insecurity, 
um, the you know challenges with governance and and maybe population challenges and things like that. With climate sort of uh, tacked on top of that, um, I see that being sort of a, a catalyst that would exacerbate these other challenges in a way. So to me, if I were to focus on one African security challenge that I think maybe has a strong impact on the others, I would focus on, on climate. I think the other one that I would maybe say is maybe disproportionately um, maybe emphasized in the African context is the youth. Um, I'm sure people continue to, you know, sort of talk about the youth bold. Um, I prefer to call it the youth opportunity. Um, but that being said, you know, populations don't slow down just because we want to sort of, you know, go through semantics. Um, you do have a really burgeoning youth population that will um, be in Africa more than any other place in the world. And what you're going to be looking at is whether or not these governments are ready to tackle all of the other security challenges, as well as uh, a youth opportunity um, that needs to be harnessed in a positive direction. And so that youth um, question um, to me, while some people may call it a challenge, I think it has um, both challenge and opportunity if it could be harnessed in the right way. And you talked about uh, the youth bulge and climate insecurity and how they play such a large part into it. You see this problem, like you said, like in the U.S. and other um, developed nations where so many uh, in Africa are currently developing. How, how do we even begin to mitigate that when, um, you know, we're having uh, climate change uh, debates all over the world and um, how much do you think that um, uh, we can, or what we can really do to, to, to mitigate that in a developing nation or on the continent of Africa? I think there's a lot of examples that could be drawn from um, the community level. Um, and then yes, while there are maybe more developed nations than some of the ways we would consider African nations, I think there are a lot of homegrown solutions, like I said, at the community level um, that could employ many of these youth into industries or into opportunities within their own countries. Um, but as you noted, it's hard to get some countries to maybe see the opportunity when they themselves are struggling to manage a number of different challenges and opportunities. So I would encourage, and probably even more implore if, if I had an opportunity to have a, a big stage, um, that the youth should be at the center of some of these solutions and figuring out what um, areas are most important to each country's youth or their industry or their sectors or their um, growth as a, as a nation, um, figuring out how you put the youth at the core of that rather than trying to find a place to put the youth in. And so that's a, something that I, I, I know African countries are grappling with, but they are also exploring how to bring outside examples from the West on, um, like I described, you know, sort of industries, whether it be new technologies and finding jobs in the climate sector or in the energy sectors, um, increasing, um, you know, youth knowledge on, and education on emerging uh, sectors of, of interest and really making sure that, again, they're focusing their governance efforts on uh, putting the youth at the core. Thank you so much for offering um, your insight. And um, for those of us like Donald and I and um, a lot of our listeners for the podcast, um, we were wondering if there's any advice that you would give to young national security professionals looking um, to enter a career similar to yours or um, just any other career in national security. 
It depends. What do you consider, you know, to be sort of national security? I think there are um, lots of ways to uh, prepare yourself for a career in national security. Um, but again, like I said, it depends on what you consider that to be. I think national security, in my mind, is very wide. It's everything from working in the business sector to working in government to working in the nonprofit sector, because all of these things are actually linked when you think about a national security um, apparatus. And so if you were to look at your, at maybe my background, um, I would encourage you, one, not to, not to have my background, but to think really quite broadly about where it is that you can work and where it is that you can impact um, national security um, from, your, from wherever it is that you're working. Now, that being said, there probably are some really specific things that if you wanted to work at the government level and at the highest levels on impacting uh, national security objectives, you should probably do. So I think many of you are in the first steps of that right now. You're in academia. You're working on um, getting a degree that really specializes in understanding what has uh, occurred in the past um, and what are the new um, field of national security looks like. So I think you're already you know, starting in the right step by doing um, uh, the academic portion of things. I would say secondly, um, you would probably want to really beef up your national security credentials. And there's a couple of ways that you could do this. Um, one, uh, you know, I was always talk to, to folks about this, it is important for you to get um, key things that would allow you to work at the highest levels. And that is a security clearance. And in order for you to be able to get a security clearance, there are some behavioral things that you will just have to make sure that you mitigate in your lifestyle um, and just un un understanding what it could mean for your career down the road if you don't um, take a look at some of those things early. So I won't get into a specific uh, illicit activities, um, but I think it's important to always keep a profile that um, is very becoming of someone who is going to have to have their background looked into extensively. Um, and so the national um, security uh, field uh, requires you have a security clearance, whether it be at, at just the you know secret level or even at a top secret level. And so you want to comport yourself in a way that does that. I think another maybe non-intuitive piece of getting your clearance or even working in the um, national security field is to start getting fellowships and internships in a way that starts your career quite early. Um, I think some people wait to get that first job or get contracted into um, the field um, when you could be doing it um, while you're in your academic studies as well. And so it's important for you to maybe start the clock on uh, your national security uh, career um, and clearance um, by looking for opportunities that allow you to get some of those early, maybe technical um, uh, things that you need to put on your resume in order for you to be able to be a um, practitioner in the field. So you talked about how um, large the national security sphere is. And you uh, earlier you talked about how your trajectory wasn't exactly typical. So in trying to get these fellowships and internships, um, how should people go about? Do you feel like your more unconventional background has helped, especially um, somewhere here at like Georgetown, I had the more conventional, I was in the military for six years. Um, Stephanie's more out right outside of undergrad. And then you have people from all these other different type of backgrounds. Do you think it, that helps that um, people haven't had the same type of experiences? Do you, do you have recommendations for people to use like 
um, what they have or like stories from how your background has helped in your field or in your current role? I think that's a really loaded question. Um, but I think that it is, uh, you, you almost answered it and you're in the question. I, my personal belief is that like no experience go, should go wasted. Um, you know, any experience that you have can be used. Um, not everything is transferable, but I, I could make an argument that, you know, there are a number of things that you can do. But I, I would maybe say, you know, three, three quick things about what you could do. Yes, broaden your experience. Ensure that you broaden your experience in a way that um, really allows you to um, have uh, opportunities in non-traditional um, security spaces or non-traditional national security spaces or even government spaces. I think you, um, your example of talking about being in the military first before coming to graduate school is a great example of getting that real world practical experience in the field that you intend to go into. And so I think others should do this in a similar way, but again, you could do it in the nonprofit sector, you could do it in the private sector, you could do it in corporate, you could do it at a think tank, um, making sure that you broaden your experience is the message. The other thing that I would do is make sure that you are well prepared for the work workforce in the way of um, making sure that you have a wide variety of information sources and contacts. Um, so making sure that you are out there networking at events and understanding who's who in the um, field that you want to get into is extremely important. The information sources part of it as well um, is critical to, I think, your broader understanding of global foreign policy, foreign policy in general, national security, when you look at things through the lens of multiple different um, sources. And so really focusing on trying to broaden your educational experience beyond just academic theory um, and making sure that you're privy to different information sources, media, globally, um, is another key point. The last thing was um, maybe know how your work impacts others. Um, and this is, can also be said in the way of um, knowing how things work together in a space. And so I think there's been a lot of principles around um, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion um, that have uh, recently surfaced, um, despite the fact that they have always been there sort of underlying as very, very important parts of having a strong workforce. Um, but I think the idea of knowing how your work impacts others, knowing how your background, your personal experience, your particular narrative and story um, can be a part of your very diverse career experience is in, very, very important um, when you think about the, the realm or the, the sector that you wanna go into work. Um, not to say that there haven't been you know, positive transitions from people who have worked maybe in one sector into another, um, but um, it, it, it can create, I think, some difficulty when you are going into a space that maybe isn't your traditional background and you don't have the experience or you haven't taken the time to get the experience about where you're working. And I'll, the example I'll give is if you're coming from the nonprofit sector and you're coming into work at the Pentagon, which is a very, very different culture, um, very, very different type, type of organization. Uh, one is hierarchical, one is a little bit more uh, community-based and communal. Um, there could be a clash in the way that you're trying to develop policies that doesn't necessarily meet with the mission. Um, and yes, it's great to have backgrounds from a lot of different places, 
but just being cognizant of what diversity, equity, and inclusion means. Um, I think a lot of people just associate it with uh, race and gender or your background. It also means diversity, equity, inclusion of mindset, thought, background, experience, um, culture of an organization and the type of work that is done there. Okay, so um, as we start to slow down and um, I think it might be my final question, what um, for students such as, such as ourselves who are um, in this position, what do you think that um, is the biggest thing that they should be working on to break into a field such as yourself? Should it be like um, uh, learning how to write in the security demos or learning how to brief a certain way, or maybe um, that you just, you want people to you know absorb the culture, like you said, how different it is, and then maybe um, figure out how they can fit in and uh, benefit people such as yourself? I think um, you've already touched on a couple of things that are absolutely critical for any work field or force that you go into um, or any sort of career type. But I think if I had to really um, hone in on it, I'll, I'll give you just a couple of, of things. I think at the tactical level, there are a number of skills that you would need to have. Writing is absolutely one of them. Um, I think knowing how to present and brief and make sure that you are um, clearly able to articulate an idea um, in a way that can be somewhat persuasive, um, particularly if you're a decision maker, is also really key. Um, I think conducting open source research, um, knowing when to ask the questions, if there's something that's left hanging and you, you don't know the answer to it, there's a, a probably a, a good chance that whoever is reading it or listening to you also has an answer on that, uh, or has a question on that. So uh, making sure that you know how to do open source research. Um, I think be, beyond that, I think knowing how to approach a problem, uh, break it down into constituent parts, analyze it in different ways, uh, and figuring out different ways to resolve it um, is another um, set of skills that you, you will need in not just any sector, but particularly in the, the national security. Um, sphere. You're constantly working through ideas, you're constantly working through concepts and problem sets, um, and you're doing this along with your colleagues um, who are all coming at it from a very different um, angle. So uh, again, the emphasis on writing, briefing, um, analyzing problems, um, and then making sure that um, you're collaborative and um, can research you know, multiple ways to a, an end goal. Um, will always be um, things that will be helpful for you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ms. Blyden. Um, I know that I learned a lot of Turk Donaldson as well. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to share uh, my experience and I hope that it was really useful for you and your listeners. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. This is the Precision Guided Podcast, the official podcast of the Georgetown Security Studies Review. Please check out the summary of the episode and subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified of the release of our next episode.